Good morning, everyone. Like Mike mentioned, my name is Luan, for those of you who don't know me. Um, it's my privilege to, to be sharing the word this morning with you. And this past two weeks, we looked at, we had a little mini-series of looking at faith and hope and this morning love. Um, George gave us an incredible presentation on what faith in action looks like. And then last week, Mike spoke to us about hope and what it means to have hope in who God is. And now this morning, I will be concluding this mini-series looking at love. And I want to start by asking a question. When I ask the question, what is love? Most of you will say, baby, don't hurt me, don't hurt me no more. <laughs> now, when I ask you the question, what is love? Most of you will say it's an emotion that you feel towards a specific person or something that you're passionate about. Others will say, you know, the people that are more, they know more the word of God a little bit better. They'll say, no, 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 love is not an emotion, it is an action, it's a doing word. And then others will say, love is the motivation behind why you are willing to sacrifice your energy, your time, and your finances for a specific someone or something. Okay, and all of those this, uh, explanations holds a level of truth to them. But we need to understand the deeper meaning and the very existence of love. And I want to read for us 1 John 4 verse 16 to start off with. It says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. So this morning we are going to look at how this love who God is, is expressed towards us. And we are also going to look at what does this mean for us? How are we to act upon this love? But before we get into that, I want to lay this important foundation in our understanding of love. And that is God is love. He doesn't have love, you know, portions of love that he can give away as he pleases. He is, the, he is love. That means the entirety of the word God from the intellectual to the emotional and everything that we understand about him and more equals to love. God is love. And we also read in 1 John 4 verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And that's quite a convicting passage. The one who does not love does not know God. If you're struggling with love, do you really know God? And vice versa. Do you say you know God and you walk with God, but you struggle to love? God is love. God is love personified. You see how God personifies love in the fullness of who He is. You know, mercy. Mercy is God's forgiving love. Grace is God's undeserving love. Peace is God's comforting love. His will in your life is His unfailing love, and His will in your life, despite difficult circumstances, is His enduring love. Providence is God's caring love. The gospel of Jesus is God's proven love. Sanctification is God's nurturing love and equipping love. Heaven is God's rewarding love, and eternity is God's un unending love. So love is locked up in every aspect of who God is. God is love. Now, we are going to look a little bit later at how are we to act upon this love. Because, you know, being confronted with the truth of God is love stirs something in our hearts. But we will look at that a little bit later. 
But now I want us to, to take a look at how God personifies his love through Jesus. And I'm going to look at a very well-known incident in the Bible. And that is the resurrection of Lazarus in, in John chapter 11. So we're going to, there's a few points that's going to come out of that, that incident, that story. That really shows how God is love personified. And just to lay a foundation there, something that we see from the get-go in verse 3 is that Jesus loved Lazarus. I want to ask you to, to turn in your Bibles or on your phones to John chapter 11. I'm not going to show all of the verses on the, on, on the screen. Some of them will be there. But if I refer to a specific verse, then you can quickly just go there and, and read with me. But in verse 3 we read, So the sisters went to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Okay, so we hear that Lazarus' sisters says, Lord, the one you love is ill. The sisters understand and know that Jesus really loves Lazarus. You don't, there's not a, it's not very common in the Bible to see people directly written that as an individual God loves that person. The only other place you see it is where John writes about himself. Okay, the one whom God loves. Okay, so John writes about himself that, that God loves him. But here's another incident where somebody else says, Jesus, the one you love is ill. Okay, so we, it's no secret that Jesus loved Lazarus. And verse 5 also says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So again, Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters. So how does Jesus express this love? And the first point there that we see in that story is he expresses his love in his sovereignty. Sovereignty is God is the one that is in control. He's the ruler. He's the one that has a last say in your life. And in this, we see how he, expresses, how he expresses his love in his sovereignty. And I'm going to share to you now how, how it works. In verse 6, we read that when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So he heard that the one that he loved so much is dying, and he decides to stay. He knows that he can do something, but he decides to stay. Why wait, Jesus? Why hold back? Why don't you go there and do something about it? And many of us sitting here, why wait, Jesus? I'm trusting you for a miracle. I'm trusting you for breakthrough. I've been praying about something specific for so long. Why wait? And you all know the story further, what happens in Lazarus' life. But we can understand that Jesus has a plan. And the plan goes beyond just Lazarus and his life. So God loves you enough to hold back and wait a little bit because what he wants to do is more than just you. He loves you so much that his love doesn't stop with you, but it goes through you to the world around you and your future generation. So his sovereignty is a way that he expresses his love, even in the story in Lazarus. God is doing something bigger in your life than just you. God's love is expressed in his sovereignty as he exerts, exerts his control over you. And friends, we don't always understand. But when we get closer to him, at least we start to see a little, better, a little bit of that purpose that he has. The more we spend time with him. And then secondly, Jesus expresses his love in promise, in his promises. 
So eventually when Jesus arrives, Lazarus has already died and he's been in the tomb for four days. And now in this next part, Jesus encounters Lazarus' two sisters. And we're going to first look at Martha, the first one he encounters. And you can read with me, this will be on the screen. Verse 21 to 27. It says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. So in doubts, in fears, in sadness, Jesus injects a promise. Lazarus will rise. And this is true for us as well. In our doubts, in our fears, in our trials, in our sadness, in seasons that are dry, God injects his promise. This past week, I came across a notebook that I I, I written a few things when I prayed at the start of this year. And the things that I saw that God told me in that time, verses, scriptures, and a few prophetic words, and I saw it now looking at it, and it just injected promise again in my life. After a year, you know, after a, a tough year during this COVID season, God injects His promises when we doubt, when we fear. And that, the thing that it does in my heart, it reminds me, God's voice, I didn't hear His voice that often this past few months. But when I saw those promises He gave to me at the start of this year, I, re, I was reminded of how much He loves me. He expresses His love in His promise. Then, verse 24, it says, Martha said to him, I know that He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Okay, so we see that Martha, like many of us, she's got the theological knowledge. She's clever. She knows, she knows the Word of God. Okay? I know Jesus. I know what you're saying is true. And then, it's interesting how Jesus responds. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So it's almost like Jesus stands there in front of her in that moment and he says, but I am the resurrection and the life. You're saying, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. And yes, I know, okay, when you come back then in the future, he will rise again. But in that moment, the one promise that we should all hold on to is, he's standing there in front of her, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm, I'm getting into this moment with you. And don't look at what if or one day when. Look at this moment. What I am the answer that you're looking for. I am the hope that you want in this moment. And I'm here to bring life. And, you know, we've got all these promises. God, you know, I have promises in my life that I've seen God say things about my future generation. And things about, you know, my marriage with my wife. And there's so many promises I can hold on to. But when we don't see those promises around us happening, one promise that will always be for the very moment that we are in is, I am the resurrection and the life. And I am here for you in this moment. Isn't that love? Where was I? Twenty, Verse 26. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So he's asking Martha, do you believe this? And that question is for us as well, friends. Do you truly believe this? And not only believe this, do you trust Him? Do you trust this? Do you trust that He loves you enough and that it goes beyond just you? And when we trust, we are willing to hold on. We are willing to wait. We are willing to rest back in His love because we're at peace. 
And the third very interesting way that he expresses his love is in weeping. So in verse 32, we see Mary enter the scene. That's the other sister now. And she enters the scene. And we can immediately see that she's the emotional one. She's a little bit different than Martha. Because she immediately kneels down and she weeps. She shows a different character, uh, character personality than Mary. But what is interesting is she's got the very same response that, that Martha did when, when Jesus arrived. And she, she asked, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So she responds, she responds in the very same way that Martha did, but Jesus expresses his love differently to this very same statement. And I just before I want to go in there, I just want to look at that, what, that statement that she says. She says, if you had been here. How many of us have if onlys in our life? God, if only I had a better job. If only I had more finances. If only my mom or my dad was still alive. If only this, if only that, if only I wasn't in South Africa, if only I could go there, if only we had children, if only we didn't have children. <laughs> Am I right, some of the parents? There are so many if-onlys in our life, and it's interesting how Jesus reacts to this if-only that Mary said before him. And verse 33 to 35 says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept. We see here that Jesus is not getting into theological conversation like he did with Martha. But he enters into that moment with her, deeply moved, and he weeps with her. God's love makes him come down onto our level. And relates with us in our moment right where we are. His love doesn't require us to climb up to his level. He comes down to our level. And that's what we saw with Jesus on the cross as well. God became man, became flesh on our level. Because that's, that's how much he loves us. And then he hung on the cross because we needed to hang on the cross. That is our level that he took on our behalf. God comes down onto our level. And you might be in a season with lots of questions. A difficult season. But I, what I feel I just want to share in this moment is, my friend, God knows and He cares. And allow yourself to be raw in your emotions before Him. He's a loving Father. He wants to hear your heart. He wants to hear what's going on inside of you. He knows, but He wants to hear it. I had to do this a couple of weeks ago. I was trusting, me and my wife, we were trusting God for specific breakthrough in our lives. And it came to a point that I was just emotional. And I was sad as well, but anger. There was anger in my heart as well. And I said a few things to God, you know. I was just... And it took... You know, in that moment, you don't want to... You don't, you don't feel like opening your Bible and, and try to get at peace again. But in that moment, I got, a, I got a message from my dad, my earthly dad from Potch. He just sent me a random message saying that they love us and they care for us and there are just a few other things as well, encouragement. And in that moment, I just realized that is God coming down to my level. Coming into that moment, using my dad, coming into that moment and feeling what I'm feeling. And then from there, I started to repent. I started to, to just sit there and I, was, I, had, I had strength and courage to open my Bible and just saw 
again who he is and what he has done for me. And I got those promises. That's when I, I came across those notes. Yeah, make notes. You see, it helps. <laughs> I came across those promises that he gave at the start of this year. And what I want you to understand is, Jesus was not, when he was weeping, he wasn't only weeping for Lazarus that died. He was, he was weeping for the entire world. The, the world that he created good in his image. He was weeping for every single one of us. and All, those, all the people out there in the city that we live in. He was weeping for all of us in that moment. And he enters Lazarus' tomb, yes, but he enters my tomb. He enters your tomb. And he weeps with us in that tomb. And thank God it doesn't only stop with tears. It doesn't stop with the weeping. And these tears, I don't want you to mistake them for tears, for only tears of sympathy and sadness. It's much greater than this. The weeping has much more significant um, revelance than just a sadness and a sympathetic emotional tear. And to explain you that, I want to go to an old theologian, B.B. Warfield. He wrote about it in his book, The Emotional Life of Our Lord. And I want you to listen clearly how he, how he explains this moment of weeping with Mary in the tomb. The spectacle of the distress of Mary and her companions enraged Jesus because it brought poignantly home to his consciousness the evil of death, its unnaturalness, its violent tyranny. In Mary's grief, he contemplates general misery for the whole human race and burns with rage against the oppressor of men. Inextinguishable, inextinguishable fury seizes upon him. His whole being is discomposed and perturbed. It is death that is the object of his wrath. And behind death, him who, was, who has the power of death, and whom he has come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but this is incidental. His soul is held by rage, and he advances to the tomb as a champion who prepares for conflict. Isn't that love, friends? In that moment of getting down onto our level, Jesus' love takes over, Jesus's love takes over as he decides to rage against the destruction of our lives. He's moved to tears, he's moved to weeping, because it's not how it's supposed to be, where we are. And he, his heart is raged, raged, and he gets into that moment as a champion for our lives. It's almost like he's thinking, I feel those emotions that you have, and I am here to complete those emotions that you have. And that goes hand in hand with the next point of how he expresses his love, and that is in victory. In victory. Yes, victory. Amen. <laughs> there we go. Thanks, Justice. It's not the cue yet. I'll, I'll wink. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding around. I'm so... In victory, in verse 43, we see that Jesus spoke with authority, with a loud voice. He said, Lazarus, come out. And he speaks aloud so that everyone can hear because he has got authority. My friend, the Lord has the authority in your life. Because he loves you. And in that moment when he speaks authority to Lazarus' life, rotten, stink, death becomes life. The tomb turns into a place of worship. Again, I want to ask, isn't that love? 
And the interesting thing is that moment actually sealed Jesus' faith. Because from there on, the authorities started to plot Jesus' death. We read just a couple of verses after that. Because a week after this incident of Lazarus, Jesus hung on that cross for us. So what love does, friends, is it calls Lazarus and you and me out of the tomb so that he can enter into that tomb on our behalf. We all know John 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. So the ultimate expression and proof of God's love is what he did on the cross for us through Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave. And now I want to I get to the practical part of this. What does this mean for us? What is this love that God is and expresses through who he is to us? How are we to act upon this? And I believe that the love of Jesus does two things for us. It settles us and it makes us significant. So firstly, we need to allow this love, this love that is expressed through his sovereignty, through his promise, through his weeping and sacrifice that goes along with that, and through his victory, to get close enough to us so it can do its work in us, settling us in who we are. We need to grow, grow personally in this love. In Philippians 1 verse 9 it says, And it is my prayer that your love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Friends, we need to grow in this love. We need this love to penetrate our hearts and grow in the depth of insight of what this love that God not has, but that God is for us, what it means. There's a quote that says, The cross is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled. But we have to get near enough for its sparks to fall on us. We need to grow in this love, friends. And as you get to the truth of the gospel, you get to the very core of love. Again, remember that one promise that will never change. I am the resurrection and the life. As you get closer to that truth of the gospel, of who Jesus is and what he has done, you get closer to the very core of understanding this love, and that will bring you closer to living out this love. So truth and love goes hand in hand. Listen to this beautiful quote by John Stott. It says, Our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth, and our truth grows hard if it is not softened by love. Where are you in this? Do you need a reminder that Jesus entered your tomb as a champion over the enemy and his onslaught so that you can have life, you know, the truth of the gospel so that your softened heart can be strengthened? Or perhaps you need to let go a little bit of your obedience thinking and everything has to be strict in, in, in order and your, your heart needs to be softened a little bit by love. You need to allow yourself to kneel before God and let Jesus weep with you in your season of suffering. Strengthened by truth and softened by love. And friends, as we grow personally in His love, you will learn how it makes you significant for a purpose. Again, remember that love goes to you in order to go through you to the people around you as well. And love will start flowing into action. It will start flowing into faith. 
And James 2 verse 17 says, Faith without works is dead. So love will flow into action. Listen to this. The works of love is the evidence of living faith. The works of love is the evidence of living faith. So the result is faithful actions driven by love. Now if we look around us, it's no secret that the world needs this kind of love. The world needs this faithful actions. The world needs hope. If we look at the cynical situation, yes, it breaks my heart, you know, how murders, and murders in general, farm murders, but all of the crimes around us, how it increases. And it breaks my heart even more how our racism becomes the, the issue that comes out of this. And if you look in our own city, you know, how many kids in school, primary school, high school, how many kids are here of that grows up in broken homes? And the poverty that we see all around us, the inequality. What is the answer for that, my friend? The world is suffering and it needs hope. It needs faithful actions. And that will be driven by love. Because God is love. What does the world need? God. What is God? God is love. The, the answer is written in John 13, verse 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also ought to love one another. Remember this love. This love that is a champion that came into your tomb as a champion to rage against the destruction of your life. Jesus is asking us to love people like that. With a love that rages against the destruction of their lives. And the verse continues, By all this people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that is the badge of a disciple, I want to call it. It's love. It's not respect or provision or caring for one another or understanding each other's issues you know, and being you know, cool with one another or helping one another even. The badge of a disciple is love. All of those things will flow into action from love. And then you ask me, but what about, what about our differences? Even in this room, if we look around us, you know, different cultures, different generations, there are going to be disagreements. Jesus doesn't ask us to agree with everyone. He asks us to love everyone. And I want to ask, can we as a church trust God that we will portray such a love to each other and to the world outside? Even though there are going to be disagreements. In different cultures and generations, they are, it's bound to be, there are bound to be disagreements. And our question should not be, you know, how should worship look like? When one culture says worship through music should look like this, the other culture says no, it should look like this. Discipleship. One person says discipleship is more about relationship. The other person says no, discipleship is more about, you know, calling them into obedience to the word of God. And both of these sides has incredible truth to it. But what is the middle point there? It's love. We should not ask how should discipleship look like or how should worship through music look like. We should ask how does love look like between people that disagree on what discipleship should look like or what worship through music should look like. That is what's going to unite us, friends. And friends, with this, 
May God help us. May God help us to understand His love. His love that is... His love that is um, sovereign, expressed through His sovereignty. The fact that He's in control. He's got the last word in our lives because He knows us and He cares for us. The love that injects promise, His promise into our lives. And the love that weeps with us and sacrifices for us and calls us into victory. May God help us to understand this love. And may God then help us that we, that we can stand up in this love and understand the significant purpose that we each, each one of us has because of this love.